is Dr. Balaga here. Today's podcast is on hyponatremia. The podcast is derived from an outstanding chapter by Dr. John J. Chang and Dr. Aljay Paxetto, MD. Uh, both are faculty nephrologists at the Yale University School of Medicine. Dr. Chang is an assistant professor and an academic hospitalist at the VA Connecticut Healthcare System. He completed his medical school, internal medicine, residency, and nephrology fellowship at Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Aldo J. Pexetto, MD, is a professor of medicine and nephrology at Yale. He also serves as associate chair for ambulatory operations and quality. He is the clinical chief of nephrology and director of the Yale Hypertension Center at the Yale New Haven Hospital. This podcast is derived from the chapter titled Electrolyte Disorders in Baliga's Textbook of Internal Medicine with 1,480 multiple-choice questions for the boards. The extracellular fluid osmolality is tightly regulated because a major change in the osmolality disturbs the cellular volume. Hyperosmolality causes cellular dehydration by drawing water out of the cell. In contrast, hypoosmolality causes cellular edema by pushing water into the cell. Osmolality can be measured directly or estimated by adding the concentration of all major solutes in the extracellular fluid. Because sodium and its accompanying anions normally constitute greater than 95% of the total number of solutes in the extracellular fluid, doubling the plasma sodium concentration gives a reasonably accurate estimation of the extracellular fluid osmolality. Therefore, the plasma sodium concentration can be used as a surrogate for osmolality. Hyponatremia signifies hypoosmolality and hypernatremia signifies hyperosmolality. Hyponatremia is a description of water excess. The plasma sodium concentration can be estimated by dividing the sum of the numbers of the major intracellular cation, that's potassium, and the extracellular cations, that's sodium, by the total body water. That is, plasma sodium concentration is nearly equal to total body potassium plus total body sodium. This sum is divided by the total body water. The plasma sodium concentration changes when there are disproportionate changes in solutes and water. Hyponatremia develops when water gain is proportionally greater than solute gain or when solute loss is proportionately greater than water loss. In both situations, the resulting condition is characterized by water excess. The generation of hyponatremia requires water ingestion. Under normal conditions, hyponatremia is not maintained because the kidneys promptly excrete in urine the ingested water beyond what is needed for osmolar balance. Thus, daily urine output normally parallels daily water intake, assuming minimal non-renal water losses. The link that couples water intake to urine output is urine osmolality, which has an inverse relationship with both. 
average daily urine osmolality equals daily osmol intake divided by daily water intake. Daily urine output equals daily osmol intake divided by average daily urine osmolality. An increase in water intake suppresses antidiuretic hormone or ADH release, thus lowering urine osmolality and consequently urine output rises. Conversely, a decrease in water intake elevates urine osmolality and urine output falls. For example, when daily water intake doubles from 1 liter to 2 liters, on daily osmol intake of 600 milliosmoles, the urine osmolality decreases from 600 to 300 milliosmoles per kilo and then the urine output increases from 1 liter to 2 liter. The urine output will continue to rise with the increasing water intake until the urine output reaches the maximum renal water excretory capacity or the maximum daily urine output which is determined by the following equation. Maximum daily urine output equals daily osmol intake divided by lowest urine osmolality. Once the urine output reaches the maximum daily urine output, it will not rise any higher despite a further increase in water intake because the urine osmolality cannot fall any lower. With the lowest possible urine osmolality of 50 milliosmoles per kilo, daily intake of 600 milliosmoles would allow daily excretion of up to 12 liters of water. When the daily intake is 12 liters or less, all ingested water is excreted in the urine. But when the daily water intake exceeds the maximal daily urine output of 12 liters, any ingested water over 12 liters accumulates in the body and causes persistent hyponatremia. An important principle that emerges from this discussion is that hyponatremia is maintained when the kidneys fail to excrete all ingested water because the daily water intake is greater than the maximum daily urine output. Accumulation of excess water can result from one of the following two conditions. First, high water intake exceeds normal renal water excretion and second, defect in renal water excretion. Psychogenic pardipsia exemplifies hyponatremia caused by excessive water intake. Because the intact kidneys on a normal dietary osmol load are able to excrete over 10 liters of water, water ingestion must be extremely high to induce hyponatremia. A much more common cause of hyponatremia is a defect in renal water excretion that severely reduces the maximum daily urine output. Normal water excretion requires both adequate osmol intake and low urine osmolality. Thus, impaired water excretion results from either low osmol intake or inappropriately high urine osmolality. Reduced osmol intake is common in the hospital. For example, when a patient is made nilpororal or NPO without a maintenance fluid, no exogenous osmols are introduced into the body. 
even a typical maintenance fluid consisting of D5 half normal saline at 75 mL per hour provides only 277 mOS per day. A reduced hospital intake predisposes a patient to the development of hyponatremia, especially if urine osmolality is also elevated. Beerman's potomania describes hyponatremia observed in a beer drinker who subsists mostly on beer. Beer contains very few osmoles because it consists almost exclusively of water and ethanol, little or no sodium and protein. The latter being the source of urea is a major osmol. Urea production is further reduced because ethanol inhibits the breakdown of endogenous protein. Consequently, daily osmol intake may fall to 200 milliosmoles or less in a heavy beer drinker. Even with maximal dilution of urine to 50 milliosmoles per kilo, hyponatremia ensues if water intake is greater than 4 liters. A beer drinker who imbibes a case of beer a day ingests roughly 8.5 liters of water, that is 24 cans into 355 mils per can. Because the kidneys can excrete only 4 liters of water, the remaining 4.5 liters accumulate in the body and produce hyponatremia. Similar results can be observed in individuals who ingest low amounts of solutes and large amounts of low osmolality fluids such as water, soda, juices, tea, sports drinks, etc. The renal water excretion becomes severely impaired and the urine osmolality becomes elevated. For example, when the urine osmolality is fixed at 600 milliosmoles per kilo, the maximal daily urine output also becomes fixed at 1 liter on a daily osmol intake of 600 milliosmoles. Because the kidneys can excrete only 1 liter of urine per day, water ingestion in excess of 1 liter will produce persistent hyponatremia. The normal response of the kidneys to hyponatremia is to maximally dilute the urine to less than 100 milliosmoles per kilo. Because ADH concentrates urine, the dilution of urine to less than 100 milliosmoles per kilo requires complete suppression of ADH secretion. A corollary is when urine osmolality in hyponatremia is greater than 100 milliosmoles per kilo, it suggests incomplete suppression. While clear pathologic from the standpoint of water hemostasis, persistent ADH secretion in hyponatremia may be physiologically appropriate if it is in response to a, a decreased effective circulating volume since resultant increases in water reabsorption prevents a further volume deficit. On the other hand, in the absence of a decreased effective circulating volume, persistent ADH secretion is physiologically inappropriate from the standpoints of both water and volume homeostasis. The foregoing discussion identifies two types of persistent ADH secretion in hyponatremia, one that is physiologically appropriate and the one that is not mediated by any physiological stimulus, thus named Syndrome of Inappropriate ADH Secretion or SIADH.
high urine osmolality, that is urine osmolality greater than 100 due to continued ADH secretion, could be either due to appropriate ADH secretion or inappropriate ADH secretion. Cause of appropriate ADH secretion include ECF depletion, for example, non-renal sodium loss, where urine sodium is less than 20, in diarrhea, in vomiting, in renal sodium loss, where the urine sodium is greater than 40, for example, thiazide diuretics, cerebral wasting disease, where there's salt wasting, or when there is expansion of extracellular fluid. In, in these cases, urinary sodium is less than 20, and seen in congestive heart failure, cirrhosis, and nephrosis. Inappropriate ADH secretion, urinary sodium is greater than 40. Causes include hormone deficiency, such as hypothyroidism and adrenal insufficiency. Physiologic causes, such as pain, nausea and vomiting. Malignancies, such as small cell lung cancer, brain cancer. In pulmonary disorders, such as infection, pneumothorax and mechanical ventilation. In central nervous system disorders, including intracerebral bleeds and infections, and drugs or medications can cause inappropriate ADH secretion. Drugs which cause SIADH include DDABP, carbamazepine, oxacomazepine, antidepressants, example SSRIs, antipsychotics, nicotine, narcotics, vincristine, ifosafamide, ecstasy, and NSAIDs. SIDH is commonly associated with malignancy such as small cell lung cancer and brain cancer, less commonly associated with head and neck cancers, GI cancers, general urinary malignancies, lymphomas, and sarcomas. In summary, persistent hyponatremia develops in the daily water intake is greater than the maximum daily urine output resulting in retention of a portion of the ingested water. This can happen only when water intake is pathologically high or when renal excretion is impaired due to either low or small intake or elevated urine osmolality. Finally, elevated urine osmolality reflects continued ADH secretion, which may be physiologically appropriate or inappropriate. What are the clinical manifestations of hyponatremia? The symptoms of hyponatremia are neurological and stem from cerebral edema occurring in the skull. The degree of cerebral edema determines the severity of symptoms. Mild cerebral edema causes no symptoms or mild symptoms such as malaise, gait disturbance, nausea and vomiting. Severe cerebral edema can produce profound depression of sensorium and seizures. In extreme cases, brainstem herniation and death can ensue. The severity of cerebral edema and symptoms is determined by both the severity and the acuity of hyponatremia. Hyponatremia is said to be acute if it has been present for less than 24 to 48 hours and chronic if persistent for more than 24 to 48 hours. 
Acute severe hyponatremia invariably causes life-threatening symptoms from correspondingly severe cerebral edema, whereas chronic hyponatremia, even when it is severe, causes little or no symptoms because the brain has partially corrected the cerebral edema by osmotic adaptation. Osmotic adaptation induces osmotic water loss from the cells by extruding intracellular inorganic and organic osmoles. It takes 24 to 72 hours to complete osmotic adaptation, reflecting the time it takes to synthesize new transporters for the organic solutes. Because there has not been adequate time to complete osmotic adaptation in acute hyponatremia, cerebral edema is more pronounced in acute hyponatremia than in chronic hyponatremia. This explains an association of acute hyponatremia with more severe symptoms. The diagnosis of hyponatremia is a stepwise approach. It's a three-step process. Step one is to determine if hyponatremia truly represents hypoosmolality. Asking this question is necessary because hyponatremia ex may exist with low, normal or high osmolality. A direct measurement of plasma osmolality answers the question. If the hypoosmolality is confirmed, that is less than 270 milliosmoles per kilo, then proceed to the next step, that is 2. Step 2 is where includes determination which one of the following is responsible for persistent hyponatremia, whether it's excessive water intake, low osmol intake or continued ADH secretion. Because the normal response of kidneys to hyponatremia is to suppress ADH secretion and to lower urine osmolality to less than 100 milliosmoles per kilo, urine osmolality of less than 100 milliosmoles per kilo indicates appropriate suppression of ADH secretion. This occurs when hyponatremia is caused by excessive water intake for example, psychogenic polydepsia or reduced osmol intake, example, beer drinkers' potomania. Whereas, urine osmolality is greater than 100 milliosmoles per kilo, indicates continued ADH secretion. If ADH presents is confirmed, then proceed to step 3. Step 3 involves determining the etiology for continued ADH secretion. Continued ADH secretion may be physiologically appropriate or inappropriate. The two forms can be distinguished by assessing extracellular volume status, which is normal in SIADH, and abnormal that where it's depleted in hypervolumic states or severely expanded in decompensated heart failure, cirrhosis, or nephrosis. Unfortunately, clinical examination is not reliable in detecting mild derangements in volume status. In such instances, the urinary sodium concentration is used to aid the clinical assessment of volume status. The urine sodium concentration is less than 20 to 30 milliequivalents per liter in hypovolemia. The notable exceptions are cerebral salt wasting and thiazide induced hyponatremia, both of which result in renal sodium wasting. The urine sodium concentration is also less than 20 to 30 milliequivalents per liter in congestive heart failure and cirrhosis. Whereas, 
The unit sodium is generally greater than 40 milliequivalents per liter in SIADH. So to recap, step one, does hyponatremia truly represent hypoosmolality? Step one is checking plasma osmolality. When the plasma osmolality is greater than 285, consider hyperglycemia and mannitol. When it's between 270 and 285, consider hypoproteinemia, hypertriglyceridemia, glycine, or sorbitol. When the plasma osmolality is less than 270, the patient has a hypoosmolality. Proceed to step two. And the step two involves which one of the following three is responsible for persistent hyponatremia? Excessive water intake, low osmol intake, or high urine osmolality? So step two involves checking urine osmolality. When urine osmolality is less than 100, consider excessive water intake, such as in psychogenic polydipsia, or consider low osmol intake, such as in Biermann's potomania or poor nutrition. When the urine osmolality is greater than 100, consider high urine osmolality from continued ADH secretion. At this point, proceed to step 3. Step 3 is what is the reason for continued ADH secretion? This involves assessing for extracellular fluid volume status. When the patient is hypervolemic, such as in cirrhosis, congestive heart failure, nephrosis, the urinary sodium is less than 20. When the patient is hypovolemic and there is renal sodium loss, the urinary sodium is greater than 40. When there is non-renal sodium loss, then the urinary sodium is less than 20. When the patient is uvolemic, consider SIADH and the urinary sodium is typically greater than 40. Hyponatremia is defined as a decrease in the serum sodium concentration to a level below 136 millimoles per liter and represents a state of water excess. Therefore, the goal of therapy is to reduce the body of water excess. This should be done expeditiously to treat or to prevent severe neurological complications from cerebral edema, but not too rapidly to avoid the devastating complication of rapid correction. Extra extrusion of intracellular osmols minimizes cerebral edema in chronic hyponatremia. The recovery of the same osmols from the extracellular fluid is necessary to prevent excessive cerebral dehydration during correction of hyponatremia when the rising plasma sodium concentration moves water out of the cell. Rapid normalization of hyponatremia before the retrieval of sufficient number of osmols can induce cerebral dehydration and lead to a clinical entity known as osmotic demyelination syndrome. It occurs exclusively during the therapy of chronic hyponatremia if the rise in sodium concentration exceeds 12 milliequivalents per liter in 24 hours, 
or 18 milliequivalents per liter in 48 hours. Clinical manifestation of osmotic demyelination syndrome is often delayed with correction of hyponatremia. Hyponatremia related symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, seizures and altered sensorium disappear. Over the next several days, a patient, the patient may be completely asymptomatic until the sudden development of generalized seizures, respiratory arrest, and coma. A variety of neurologic findings may be observed, including unequal pupils, fixed dilated pupils, hemiparesis with long-tracked injury signs such as Babinski, bilateral clonus of the knees and ankles. Brain MRI may be diagnostically helpful, but the appearance of the typical findings may be delayed for up to one month. Prognosis is poor, as meaningful neurologic recovery is seldom observed. Prevention is the best approach for osmotic demyelination syndrome. There are three main methods for eliminating water excess. The first is water restriction. Water restriction will result in a net water loss when daily water intake, that is ingested water plus water in food and water generated from oxidation is less than daily water loss from the lungs, skin, GI tract and kidneys. Typically ingested water or fluids need to be restricted to less than 1.5 liters per day to produce net water loss. Water restriction should be used in all hyponatremic patients except in those who are hypovolemic. It should be used as the sole therapy for hyponatremia only in asymptomatic patients. In psychogenic polydipsia, restricting water intake to below the maximum daily urine output allows prompt excretion of excess water by the intact kidneys. The second method to reduce water excess is to enhance renal water excretion has been compromised by either low osmol intake or high urine osmolality. The administration of salt tablets increases the renal water excretion by increasing the osmol load. A concomitant use of a loop diuretic augments water diuresis by lowering urine osmolality while preventing volume overload. When high urine osmolality from persistent ADH secretion impairs water excretion, all of which should focus on identifying and eliminating the cause of ADH secretion. Volume depleted patients should have the extracellular fluid replaced with isotonic saline and often with potassium supplementation, example in thiazide-induced hyponatremia. In the case of heart failure cirrhosis, the focus should be on specific therapies of these disorders. Even when direct suppression of ADH secretion is not possible, lowering of urine osmolality can still be accomplished by blocking the action of ADH on the kidneys. A vasopressin receptor antagonist blocks the binding of ADH to the V2 receptors on the basolateral membrane of the principal cell and prevents insertion of water channels into the luminal membrane. As a result, urine osmolality remains low with brisk water diuresis which develops shortly after initiation of the agent such as tolvaptan or conivaptan. The side effects include an increase in thirst and polyuria. There is a small 
but real risk of rapid correction of hyponatremia. Nemeclocycline works similarly by blocking the action of ADH, although the mechanism of action is not known. And the onset of action is measured in days, not hours, for V2 receptor antagonists. By preventing the generation of the medullary concentration gradient necessary for concentration of urine, a loop diuretic can make the urine tonicity, that is sodium plus potassium concentration, lower than the tonicity of normal saline. Sodium concentration normal saline is 154 milliequivalents per liter. The loop diuretic, when given in combination with normal saline, thus allows the excretion of sodium chloride in the normal saline in a volume of urine that is greater than the volume of infused normal saline. As a result, a net water loss ensues. Finally, hypotonic saline represents the third method for treatment of hyponatremia. Typically, 3% saline is used. 1 liter of 3% saline consists of 513 milliosmoles each of sodium and chlorine with a total osmolality of 1026 milliosmoles per kilo. Choosing the type of therapy for hyponatremia. The severity of symptoms and the severity of hyponatremia determine the therapeutic choice. Severe symptoms such as seizure and coma requires a bolus infusion of 100 cc of 3% saline with two additional boluses if there is no improvement. Each bolus will raise the sodium concentration by about 1 to 2 milliequivalents per liter. An increase in sodium concentration by 4 to 5 milliequivalents per liter is generally adequate to terminate seizures and to reverse coma. 3% saline may also be given prophylactically when the sodium concentration is less than 110 milliosmoles per kilo, although there is no general agreement on this issue. Following one or more boluses, a continuous infusion of 3% saline may be used over the ensuing 12 to 24 hours at a rate dictated by the calculation of the sodium deficit. Sodium deficit is equal to total body water multiplied by target plasma sodium concentration minus current plasma sodium concentration. The target plasma sodium concentration should be 115 220 milliequivalents per liter. One must be mindful of the limitations of the formula in accurately predicting the change in sodium concentration. Therefore, it is imperative to follow serial sodium concentration every two to four hours to avoid rapid correction. In patients with mild symptoms such as malaise, gait disturbance and nausea, a vasopressin receptor antagonist or a combination of furosemide and 0.9% saline may be used. If reduced osmol intake is suspected, salt tablets or intentional use of high sodium foods in the diet can enhance renal water excretion. In an asymptomatic patient, fluid restriction may be tried. The fluid restriction may need to be quite stringent to produce a meaningful increase in the plasma sodium concentration. The rate of correction of sodium 
the rise in the sodium concentration should not exceed 10 milliequivalents per liter in the first 24 hours or 18 milliequivalents per liter in the first 48 hours. What is the target for plasma sodium concentration? Seizures and coma are rare when sodium concentration is over 120 milliosmoles per kilo. Therefore, the target sodium concentration in the first 24 hours should be around 120 milliosmoles per kilo. It is not only unnecessary to raise the sodium concentration to the normal range, but it is also dangerous because of the risk of osmotic demyelination syndrome. Common fables of hyponatremia include number one, that the presence of true hyponatremia means that the total body water must always be increased and the total body sodium must always be decreased or both. Number two, that is high blood urea or alcohol levels will by analogy with glucose cause hyponatremia. Number three, that urea and alcohol do not contribute to measured serum osmolality. Number four, that a normal or elevated measured serum osmolality in a hyponatremic patient excludes the possibility of hypotonicity. Number five, that a patient with hyperglycemia-induced hyponatremia must have a normal measured serum osmolality. Number six, that the presence or absence of an abnormally increased osmolal gap provides definitive information regarding whether a hyponatremic patient that increase risk for cerebral edema. Some of these misconceptions are held concurrently despite mutual incompatibility. These fables have been debunked. A 56-year-old man has asymptomatic hyponatremia due to SIADH in the setting of stage 1 non-small cell lung cancer. His serum sodium fluctuates between 125 to 130 milliequivalents per liter and he has been managed with fluid restriction and high sodium intake. When he is admitted to the hospital for his lobectomy, you are asked to manage his hyponatremia in the perioperative period. On examination, he is euvolemic. Laboratory tests, serum sodium 126 milliequivalents per liter, potassium 4.2 milliequivalents per liter, urinary sodium 152 milliequivalents per liter, urinary potassium 40 milliequivalents per liter, and urinary osmolality 520 milliosmoles per kilo. During his nil per oral period, which intravenous fluid prescription would be indicated? A. D5 0.9% saline at 50 to 75 mL per hour. B. D5 0.9% saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium chloride at 50 to 75 mL per hour. C. D5 0.9% saline at 200 to 250 mL per hour. D. D5 0.45% saline at 100 mls per hour and E, D5 water at 50 mls per hour. And the answer is B, is D5 0.9% saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium chloride at 50 to 75 mls an hour. To raise or at least maintain serum sodium concentration, the sodium plus potassium concentration, which is aka tonicity, the maintenance fluid must be higher than or equal to sodium plus potassium concentration in the urine. In this patient, therefore, the sodium plus potassium concentration in the maintenance fluid has to be greater than 192 milliequivalents per liter. 
because urine sodium plus potassium equals 192. Because the sodium and potassium in the maintenance fluid represents an excess osmol load, the kidneys will promptly excrete them to maintain an osmol balance. If the sodium plus potassium concentration in the maintenance fluid is lower than 192, the kidneys will excrete the infused sodium and potassium in the urine, which is all but water except for minute quantities of osmols that has a smaller volume than the volume of the infused fluid. This will result in net addition of water and worsening hyponatremia. For example, if 1 litre normal saline, which contains sodium-154, potassium-0, were administered in this patient, 154 milliequivalents of sodium would be excreted in 800 ml of urine. 154 divided by 192 equals 0 0.8 effectively adding 200 ml of free water to the body. When the volume of the maintenance fluid is small, that is 1 litre per day, the impact on the sodium is correspondingly small. On the other hand, a large volume of the maintenance fluid would add to a correspondingly larger volume of free water and hyponatremia would quickly worsen. Therefore, the maintenance fluid should be small in volume, 50 to 75 ml per hour, and similar in tonicity to that of urine, DeFi normal saline with 20 milliequivalents of potassium chloride with the tonicity of 174, that is 154 sodium plus 20 potassium, best meets the criteria. Remember, hyperglycemia is the most common cause of translocational hyponatremia, an increase of 100 milligrams per deciliter or 5.6 millimoles per liter in the serum glucose concentration decreases serum sodium by approximately 1.7 millimoles per liter with the end result of a rise in serum osmolality of approximately 2 milliosmoles per kilogram of water. Also, the most common causes of severe hyponatremia in adults are therapy with thiazides, the postoperative state, and other causes of syndrome of inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone, polydipsia in psychiatric patients, and transurethral prostatectomy, gastrointestinal fluid loss, ingestion of dilute formula, accidental ingestion of excessive water, and receipt of multiple tab water enemas are the main cause of severe hyponatremia in infants and children. Great vigilance is required in order to recognize and diagnose hypothyroidism and adrenal insufficiency since these disorders tend to masquerade as cases of syndrome of inappropriate secretion of antidiuretic hormone. The presence of hyperkalemia should always alert the physician to the possibility of adrenal insufficiency. Mm -hmm.